Well, we've been hearing a lot about revival lately. And uh, back on February 20th, uh, news station Lex 18 of Lexington, uh, Kentucky, ran this article about the, uh, the revival at uh, Asbury College, or Asbury University. And here's some excerpts. They said, Life will return to normal on campus of Asbury University in the town of Wilmore once again when this week is through. It's the hope of officials at Asbury's who faced challenges that they've never expected after a worship service just wouldn't end. It's now nearing day 13. Universal, universal University officials <laughs> originally announced on Saturday that the revival would end on this upcoming Wednesday night. Abby Lobb, the university's communications director, said what they're doing is not sustainable because of the thousands of visitors. She added that the estimated tens of thousands had come to the campus for revival since it began. Now it is close to the end. The article ends with one of the town's residents saying, it's going to be a great relief to get back to normal in our small town. So this this new station is announcing the revival is over. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, I I do believe that, uh, and it's, it's my conviction that God would, would want us to have continuous revival. That a revival wouldn't be a, a, a thing that's out of the ordinary, though it is out of the ordinary, but it would be considered normal Christian life, normal normal life in the, in the spirit. Yeah, I grew up in a tradition where churches would, would schedule revivals. Uh, they'd call in a, a dynamic guest speaker, there, and he'd preach every night for, for a week. There'd be pretty good music that would be imported. Uh, you know, there'd be altar calls. People would come up and rededicate their lives. Some would come for, for salvation, and all these things are good. But, you know, the, the thing was, at the end of the week, the, the revival would, would end. The door would shut. And the revival was over. You know, the thing is, it's the Spirit of God that, that brings revival in, in His people. You know, I, I do not believe we can schedule a revival, nor do I believe we can schedule the end of a, of a revival. You know, I, I have the hope that God continues to work in the hearts of those who, who've been part of these, uh, these college and university revivals and that, that we'll see some lasting fruit. You know, I, pr- I pray for that. And, you know, God has promised us. This, this promise goes out to all God's people that if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our, our sinful ways, he'll hear our prayers from heaven and, and heal our land. And I think that's a promise we can claim. You know, he'll, he'll move well, today we come to uh, Nehemiah 9 in our study of Nehemiah where, where the people are doing this. They are, are humbling themselves and, and praying and seeking God's face and, and repenting, confessing. They're doing this with, with humble hearts. They're, they're calling on God together. You know, I, th- I think we can say this, this is the stuff of revivals going on right here. Let's, read, let's start out by reading the first five verses of Nehemiah. Nine, first five verses. 
Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembling with fasting and in sackcloth with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Joshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chinani. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Well, chapter 9 is a continuation of, of chapter 8. If, if you recall from, from last time, you know, the, uh, there, there, there was time of, of reading the word. Chapter 9 consists of a, a prayer. It's a, a collective prayer. It's, it's a national prayer led by the Levites. And all the people are gathered. So they're on the 24th day. Chapter 8 left off with a solemn assembly on the 8th day. So it's, it's a little, little over two weeks later. And this is mostly a prayer of confession. And not only for their own sins, but they're confessing the, the sins of their, of their fathers. They're confessing the sins of, of the nation. People are, are in sackcloth. They're they're fasting. They're they're putting dirt on their heads. You know, this is uh, definitely a sign of uh, humility and mourning in, in that day. You know, they're they're very remorseful over their sins. They they've read the book of the law for a quarter of the day. You know, all morning long they they've heard God's law and then they confessed and worshipped for a quarter of the day. So the the prayer begins in worship. You know, they're standing before God in prayer and uh, this, this prayer follows a, a pattern. There's, there's four R's. There's reverence, response, request, and readiness. And we'll, we'll read the chapter in parts. The first is reverence, worshiping God, worshiping the, the great and, and mighty Lord. So this prayer begins with worship in verse 5. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord alone. You've made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host and the earth and all that is on it and the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Adam or Abram. Abram, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and, and you made him, made with him the covenant to give his offspring the land of Canaanite, the Hittite, and the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you've kept your promise for you are righteous. 
And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew they acted arrogantly against our fathers and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. Then you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into the mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and a pillar of fire at night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for the hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to, to give to them. You know, this, this is a prayer of adoration and, and worship, reverence. They begin with worship. You know, they, they praise the, the mighty name of God. It's glorious. It's exalted. When we, when we praise his name, what are we doing? We're praising God for who he is. His name represents his, his attributes, his praiseworthy attributes. When Moses asked his name, remember, what did, what did God said? What did God say? He said, I am who I am. You know, that prayer, this prayer says, you are the Lord, you alone. You know, God is God, the only God, the, the creator. He's eternal. You know, this, this is in contrast with the idols and, and the false gods that have in the past led the people astray and caused them so much trouble. You know, not only did, did the Lord Yahweh create all things, he, he's actively involved in creation to sustain all things, to hold things together. The angels praise him. You know, he's, he's glorious. He's, he's, our, he's our savior, our deliverer. Our, he's our provider. He's our king. Uh, David, in his song of thanks in First Chronicles 16, 8 through 10, says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory is in his holy name. Let the hearts who, of those who seek the Lord rejoice. You know, this, in, the, in this prayer, they're, they're reciting the things, the great things that God has done through, through the history since, uh, since Abraham, actually since creation. You know, he's, he's the Lord. He's the God who, who chose Abraham to be the, the father of their nation, to be father of, of many nations. He, he made a covenant with Abraham that all nations would uh, be blessed through his descendants, Blessed through him, that he'd, he'd give the land as inheritance to his people. He's, he's not distant. He's not disconnected and unapproachable. He's, he's involved intimately in human affairs, and he's you know, laying out this plan of redemption for, for lost mankind. And he found Abraham faithful. You know, Genesis 15.6 says, and, and Paul, by the way, uh, quotes this in Romans, that Abraham believed the Lord 
and he counted it to him as righteousness. You know, God made a covenant with, with Abraham and his descendants, and, and he's kept that promise. He, he is a righteous God. When his people were enslaved in Egypt, God saw their suffering. He heard their cry. He intervened with, with Pharaoh. He, he delivered his people from their slavery in, in Egypt. He led them across the Red Sea, away from the, uh, the Egyptian army who were drowned. He led them in the wilderness as a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. He gave his law on Mount Sinai. He fed them with manna, water from the rock, all these things. Like David said, you know, oh, proclaim the things you've done, all these things that God did for his people. What, what great things he's done for us. Yes, it's, it's really good back. It's really good to look back and acknowledge and, and praise him for the things that he's done in our lives. Count your blessings, right? You give him praise. So that's reverence, worship, adoration. That's we we should pattern our, our prayers after this. You know, the Lord's Prayer begins the same way with, with worship. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, the next movement is the uh, the second R. It's it's response. You know, given the the glory of God, given all these things He's He's done for us, you know, how do we how do we properly respond when we realize how good He's been to us and and that that we've turned away from Him. Uh, what is the proper response? You know, when, when we stand in the presence of, of a holy God, this, this exalted God, you, you know, we're, we're exposed to, to the light of, of his word. When he reveals our sin, our, our deepest, darkest thoughts, how can we not respond like Isaiah did when he stood before the Lord and beheld his glory? Do you remember that? Isaiah 6, 5. Isaiah said, woe is me. Woe is me, I, for I am undone. I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, he's just overwhelmed by the holiness of God and, and his own sin. You know, when we stand before a holy God, the appropriate response is confession. So the prayer continues in verse 16 with the word, but. But, you know, God has done great things, but. Verse 16, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. 
Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor did the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. And you did not withhold your manna from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the, lo- the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat, and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient, rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their back, and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies. So they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through the prophets Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. There's a lot of confession going on there. Not only confessing their sins, but confessing the the goodness and the mercy and the the amazing grace of, of God. Remember in Ezra chapter 9, there there was a a prayer of confession, kind of a collective prayer of confession, corporate confession. We we have sinned. Collectively, we have sinned. Remember we said we we need to confess our sins without excuse to a, a merciful God. We should never, ever, think we're to a point to where we don't need to uh, to confess our sins. 
Well, now in Nehemiah chapter 9, we have this other prayer, new prayer of corporate confession. There's another church a few years ago, I, I gave a sermon on Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, and we've, we've talked about this many times, Second Chronicles 7.14. We should probably be able to say it out loud together, if my people who are called by name, my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Seek my face. I missed that, didn't I? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their, their evil ways. I will hear their prayers from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. Well, there's a group of older men who, who met on Sunday mornings before the service, and one of those guys during the week came to me in my office, and he said, you know, we're... Uh, our, our group, we'd like to hear more about about this, about uh, you know this this cost of revival. I think was the name of the sermon. And so I'm thinking, well, that's cool. They're they're listening. All right. And so I met with them the following week, and uh, you know the guy who invited me spoke on behalf of the group, and he said, you know, we're we're really confused. He said, we're humble. We pray. We don't sin. Where's the revival? It, it, it seemed to me that maybe they had some blind spots. <laughs> you know, the confession in this prayer is, is something that, that we can learn from. You know, when, when we confess, though, we are prone to make excuse for ourselves, aren't we? It's that word, but... That little word that we like to insert, that little insidious word, but, you know, Lord, I, I didn't love the way I should have, but that person's shown anything but love towards me. Lord, I confess my bitterness, I, but I have every right to be bitter, right? You know, this, notice this, this prayer here, it makes no excuses. Whenever the word but comes up, it's like, but you were so good to us, but we, we rebelled. We turned our backs on you. We sinned. We, we turned away. Our necks were stiff. Our, our hearts were hard. Even when we were horrible and forsook you and, and did evil, Lord, you still loved us and showed us mercy. And speaking of their forefathers, they, they confess that they have been presumptuous, they've been stiff-necked, they've been hard-hearted. Despite, despite God's goodness, uh, they were disobedient, rebellious. And um, I, I love the, the thing I love about this prayer is that embedded is this confession of God's goodness, his mercy. You're a God ready to forgive full of grace, full of mercy, you know, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You did not forsake them. So this is a, a long prayer of confession and acknowledgement of God's faithfulness. He said, you know, even, even, when, even when they totally forsook you and, and they made this uh, calf out of gold when Moses was receiving the law on Mount Sinai, what did you do? You 
you were great in mercy. You did not forsake them in the wilderness. You led them. You gave them your spirit so they'd understand. You, know, you, you brought them into this, this promised land. You provided for them. You gave them uh, that great bounty. But how did they respond? They, they were disobedient. They rebelled against you. They threw away your law. They killed the prophets you sent. Uh, yet you never forsook them. They wouldn't listen to you, but you still remain faithful to the covenant that you made to Abraham. They turned away from you, but you never turned away from them. That's the kind of God we serve. You know, this this kind of heartfelt confession is an act of humility and, and repentance. You know, it, 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 it touches the heart of God. In Psalm 51, 17, it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, a, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Our, our confession, our our brokenness, touches the heart of God. And I think if we're to to see revival, that's that's the kind of heart we need to have. We need to humble ourselves and pray, and seek God's face, and turn from our, our wicked ways. So this this revival at Asbury, um, you know, it started during a, a chapel service. I, I I saw the sermon that this this guy preached. He was from uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance, and. Uh, he thought he blew at the sermon. He, it said he called his wife and said, "Well, I forget his exact words, but essentially, you know, I, I, I don't think that went very well." But some people sit, stayed and, and prayed, and people kept coming. People had a heart that was turned towards God. Um. It's kind of interesting reading about different people's thoughts on this. You know, of course, there are, are critics. There always are. Uh, the, the The proof will be in the fruit, and time will tell. Time will tell. And in any case, I, I pray that these these people and the people they reach and and everybody they that are affect everybody affected by this will will have an increased hunger for God that they'll be filled. Um, people who've studied revivals and awakenings over the years, they, they point to several things that are indicators of, of genuine revival. Uh, you, you've probably heard of Jonathan Edwards. He, he was around in the 1700s during the, the first great awakening. There's this, this great movement of, of God and uh, there, there were some weird things that happened, and he was pretty concerned that uh, this all be genuine. And uh, he, he wrote about it in uh, The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God, is what he called it. And he lays out what he considered to be marks of true revival. He said, first of all, Jesus is exalted. The Holy Spirit acts against the influence of Satan's kingdom by preaching sin and repentance. 
The Bible is exalted and held in high regard. The spirit of understanding and truth opposes spirits of falsehood. And love of God, love to God and man is, is promoted. And most of the reports I've, I've read have talked about this, how, you know, there, there, there doesn't seem to be anybody who's trying to take credit for this. You know, it's just kind of, it just kind of came together as a, as a movement of, of God's spirit. But without these things, uh, I, I think what is, uh, what is called revival would not be more than uh, an emotional high. You know, true revival is going to bear fruit. I think we'll see that. Uh, highlighting the, the necessity of, of confession and repentance. And th- this is something that I, I've read about um, other, other college revivals. By the way, a lot of us have been praying for college revival for, for years you know, this this has happened before, especially at Asbury. And the one thing that I always heard was there was confession, confession of sin and, and, and repentance. Uh, Henry and Richard Blackaby say that one clear sign that a movement is not of God is when it does not lead people to repentance and to holy living. You cannot experience true revival without feeling conviction for your sin. They say that some people have uh, described periods of music, laughing, or healing as revivals, yet no one felt conviction over their sin. People who've burst into joyful laughing during a worship service but do not feel grieved over their sin have undoubtedly experienced, experienced something, but not revival. So this is absolutely necessary. You know, when we stand before holy God, his light will shine in our hearts and we'll recognize our sin and we'll confess it and we'll, we'll have a spirit-given desire to receive forgiveness and turn, turn. Well, this prayer has been one of reverence and response. Now it moves into a request. That's the third R. Verse 31, Nevertheless, in your great mercies, You did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you've been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you've dealt faithfully, and we've acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in our own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them. They did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers and enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you've set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress. 
you know, acknowledging God's goodness and his faithfulness, the Levites pray, you know, let not all this hardship seem little to you. The prayer is that the Lord would be mindful of them. That's their request. You know, they've been under distress. They and those who have come before them. You know, David says something similar in Psalm 9, 13 through 14. He says, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. You know, this prayer is is ending with a further acknowledgement of God's goodness in in his dealing with his people. And really the implied request here is that God would bless them, that his blessing would at this point continue. And so we have reverence, response, request, and finally the last R is uh, readiness. Readiness. Verse 38, because of all this, we make a firm commit or covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. What they're saying is, you know, having said all this, we're now ready to live this out. We're going to make a commitment. We're going to sign our names to this, to this covenant. We hereby renounce our sinful ways. We're committing ourselves to living lives of, of obedience. We're going to do this together. We're going to be the people. We will be the people, Lord, who you want us to be. We're ready. By your strength, we will serve you and we will follow your commands. So reverence, adoring and and praising and worshiping God. Response, it's confessing, confessing. How do we we respond when God reveals our our sin to us? Request, going to him with, with our needs and then readiness. We will move on here. We will do this. So this prayer prayer in Nehemiah 9 gives us a a really good example, a good pattern of of how to pray. Uh, There there are many prayers in the Bible. Uh, Each one's unique. We can learn from each one. We can learn from all. You know, each one is appropriate uh, to the, the person or the people who are praying, but also appropriate to us our own circumstances. You know, revival, spiritual renewal. If my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear their prayer from heaven and I will heal their land. You know, spiritual renewal comes out comes when we call out to God in, in prayer. You know, it always it always starts with the prayers, the heartfelt prayers of God's people. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we uh, we do come to you with with humble hearts, and we thank you that that we can come to you in prayer. We 
we acknowledge, Lord, that uh, you have a desire to, to work in us and, and through us, Lord, and we come to you and with hearts of thanksgiving and praise and worship and confession. Lord, we get distracted so easily. We, we fail to, to seek your face as, as we should. We can be so uh, self-focused, so self-absorbed, Lord. But you've promised that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would bring an awakening to each of us individually, Lord, to all of us as a church, to the other churches in our community, to the, to the community as, as a whole, Lord, I pray that you would bring an awakening that would change lives and transform people. Lord, that many would, would come to salvation so that your name will be exalted. Lord, that you would be lifted high. Uh, let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your will be done uh, in, in your church, in us, in, your com- in our community, our country, Lord. And it's for your glory we pray. Amen.